For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Have you ever thought about just how powerful and strong and awesome God is? Have you wondered how he gathers the water in his hands to make the seas, how he formed the mountains, how he placed the stars in the sky and set the universe in motion? And not just the massive things, but the tiny, infinitesimal, microscopic things. He created molecules and atoms, cells, and DNA. From the smallest of the small to the vastness of the cosmos, he made all of it. Think about that. He was in the beginning, and nothing that has ever been created has been created without him. Everything in the universe came from him. Everything is for and belongs to him. All of that power and knowledge and creative force existed within the humanity of a baby laid in a manger. Hey, Heritage. Welcome to week two of our Christmas series, where we're exploring what it means to behold. Just as the angel declared the birth of Jesus and said, behold, and invited the shepherds to go find him, we're on a journey of our own to behold Jesus, the one who was identified as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Last week when we kicked this thing off, we took some time to understand what it means to behold. And there's this element of look and see with behold, but it's more than that. It's more than just look and see, especially as it's used in Scripture. There's an element of fixing our eyes upon. There's this uh, giving our attention to, observing with care. There is the element of the visual piece, but there's this cognitive piece as well. In fact, we talked about it this way. We said that behold, whenever we behold someone or something... Whenever we behold God, there is the element of look and see, but it's more than that. It's not a passive thing. It's a, an active engagement. We're active participants because as we engage him, he engages us. As we embrace him, he embraces us. It involves our desire. It involves our volition. It involves this idea of striving. It's not passive. It's active. And so when we behold, it's more than look and see. It's when we join and take part as active participants. That's what it means to behold. And we also saw last week that part of the challenge for us when we behold is our attention span. <laughs> we actually have some issues with our attention span. And you can check out last week to know what that means. But I think there's another challenge that we all face when it comes to beholding. And it has to do with how we see. It has to do with the familiarity of Christmas and a narrow perspective. Because when we're up close, we often don't see things for what they really are. We don't necessarily see things for what they really are when we're up close. And we can fail to behold because we only see in part. Let me show you what I mean. And I want to do it in the, in the form of a quiz. But this is a fun quiz. Don't get excited. Don't get nervous. It's a fun quiz. I, I literally want to show you a picture and see if you can identify what it is. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Here's a picture of something. Maybe you have an idea of what it is. Raise your hand if you think you know what it is. Bendor, if you could raise it up high, because people want to know that you know. All right? Let me show you what this is a picture of. 
It's a fork. How many got it? How many got it right? Okay, good. Yeah, so this is it. That's the quiz. I want to show you a picture and see if you can get it. Are you ready? Need to stretch out? You all ready? Okay, here we go. First picture. Take a good look at it. What do you think? Don't, don't, listen, I don't want you to shout any of these answers out. I don't want you to ruin it for everybody. I just want you to think about it. Got an idea? Let me show you. It's the end of a ballpoint pen, huh? Not bad. Let's go to the next one. Here's the next one. What do you think this is? It's like some strings or carpet. Let me show you that it's the edges of the pages of a book. Look, we don't see things for what they are when we're up close. That's the reality. Let's move on to the next one. Let me show you this. Take a good look at this. What do you think that might be? Take, give you enough time. And let me show you what it is. Lipstick. Guys are like, why would I know that? <laughs> Next one. I think some of you might be able to get this one. Let me show you. It's the end of spaghetti. Anybody get that one right? Okay, a few of you. Good, good. Okay, here we go. Just last two more. Here we go. Take a look at this one. Like, like cobwebs. I don't know. Just spider webs. Let me show you. It's a tea bag. You think, oh, that makes sense, right? We see it from afar, but when we see it up close, there's lots of detail we don't necessarily recognize. All right, last one. Here we go. This is probably my favorite one. What do you think? Kind of gross looking. What do you think it is? It's the stem of an apple. Look, it's not as easy or as clear. Like when we're up close, we don't see things for what they are. And we often fail to behold because we only see in part. All right, how many of you got at least one of those right? Raise your hand, Bettendorf, get them up high at least. Okay, all right. We can get it hit or miss, but the reality is we don't see things for what they are when we're up close. It kind of reminds me of the story of the blind men and the elephant. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. But I want to read it to you because it bears great relevance to our conversation today. So here's how this goes. The story goes that in an ancient village, everybody in the village was blind. And, and one day, walking down the road, six of the men from the village encountered a man riding an elephant. The six men who had heard about elephants but had never been up close to one asked the owner if they could touch the great beast. They wanted to be able to go back to their village and explain to their fellow villagers what an elephant looked like. So the owner agreed, and he led each of the six men to a different part of the elephant. All the blind men touched and stroked the elephant until they had idea and certainty of what they knew the, the animal looked like. And in great anticipation, they returned to their village to report their experience. Now the villagers, they all gathered around to hear about the elephant. The first man, who had felt the animal's side, said, an elephant is like a great thick wall. Nonsense, said the second man who had felt the elephant's tusk. He is rather short and round and smooth, but very sharp. I would compare him not to a wall, but to a spear. The third man who had touched the ear took exception. It's, it's nothing at all like a wall or a spear. It, it's like a gigantic leaf made of thick wool carpet, and it moves when you touch it. I disagree, said the fourth man who had handled the trunk. I can tell you the elephant is like a giant snake. The fifth man shouted his disapproval. He had touched one of the elephant's legs and concluded, an elephant is round and thick like a tree. 
But the sixth man who had been allowed to ride on the elephant's back, he protested, can none of you accurately describe an elephant? Clearly he is like a gigantic moving mountain. And to this day, the men continue to argue and no one in the village has any idea what an elephant looks like. Look, I share that because when we're up close, we don't see things for what they really are. We're not able to behold. And when we look at we look at understanding God only from minimal expressions of Christmas. We can lose sight and lose perspective of the whole, especially in the familiarity of Christmas. We can lose sight of what's worth beholding at Christmas, what's worth beholding because of Christmas. Now, ironically, it was the close-up myopic perspective of fruit that led to the reason for Christmas to happen at all. Eve and Adam committing sin originally. But beyond that, I think sometimes that story is exactly how we engage God. This, this is how we try to engage God and understand him. It's how we try to understand Jesus. And, and we base our understanding on what we can see or what we can sense what we can wrap our minds around logically rather than what we can truly experience holistically as from his word, from his spirit, by his direct revelation, through creation, through others who walk with him. And we end up believing that our limited viewpoint is a comprehensive perspective and we make him small. And that can lead us to misunderstand who he is and then we never truly behold. If we start up close... We lose perspective of the whole. The, the, the proximity up close is confusing. If we start up close, we lose the perspective of the whole. But if we start out wide and we move in close, well, then the detail leads to appreciation and not confusion. If I had showed you the pictures in reverse, you probably would have gotten them all right. If I had showed you the picture of the apple first, then showed you the picture of the stem second, been a no-brainer. Because when we start with the big, and we start with the wide, and we move, move up close, then the proximity and the detail leads to appreciation, not confusion. And I think sometimes the same thing happens in our relationship with God, and specifically around Christmas, because we start up close, and we lose perspective of the whole, and then we don't truly behold. Because Christmas is more than just the story of a baby coming with a good purpose. It's the reality of a God coming to bear our shame. And that's something to behold. Look, to some degree, our minds are limited and therefore our understanding of God will be as well. But he loves us enough to reveal himself in ways that we can understand. And he desires for us to increasingly behold him as active participants, not in isolation, but in community as we live loved and linked with him and with others. And one of the greatest moments when that occurred was that first Christmas. And it was the prophet Isaiah who captured and described this years before it happened. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and this is the first passage in your note guide. You can follow along there or up here. It says that, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are great words that describe the Messiah. But they're not literal names. They are rather aspects of his character. 
aspects of the one who would come and be given the name Jesus. And there is greatness to behold in these titles because they describe who he is and what he came to do. Yet sometimes when we're up close, in the thick of things, in the throes of life and the troubles of life, we fail to see what we're looking at and we can fail to behold because we only see in part. And as wonderful as Christmas is, God becoming man, God coming to rescue, creating an accessible pathway back to him, we can make him small, limit our view and understanding, see him just as a baby with a good purpose rather than the God who came to bear our shame and to carry our punishment. Because see, that, that reality is why we need to behold him and not simply look. Because when we simply look, we only see First feeling if you're tracking in your guide. When we simply look, we only see. That means we get some perspective, some insight, some understanding. But when we look, we only see. However, when we behold, we begin to participate. We begin to participate. We, We engage. We embrace. When we look, we only see. But when we behold, we participate as active participants, engaging, embracing. And that's when we're changed. That's when we're changed. So let's take a moment to really understand him more fully so we can behold him more clearly. And I want to do that by starting with the the descriptor of wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Now there is some debate of whether or not these are a connected descriptor or as one or are they separated into two. Because the reality is in the original language, the word for wonderful was a masculine noun and it could stand alone. It could literally just mean delightful, extraordinary, hard to understand, beyond our understanding, or even just marvelous. But but the pairings that take place in the rest of that verse seem to push and lead us to combine them as wonderful counselor. But regardless of how while we split this, he is both wonderful and counselor. He is both. So based on who he is and what he's done for us, we should be filled with wonder. In fact, the Hebrew word for wonderful is is more literally translated as miracle. Miracle. So the wonderful and wonderful counselor doesn't just mean delightful or extraordinary. It means miraculous, which makes him a miracle-working counselor who does for us what nobody else can. He does for you and I what nobody else can. And in regard to that counselor element, that word, the idea in Scripture is, is not simply somebody who listens that's more of a secular or modern understanding. The biblical perspective of counsel involves listening and advising. It's the attribute of someone who is wise, who knows how to live and shares that wisdom with others. And Jesus is the one who can guide our lives. He can help us in any problem, directly or through the presence and words of others who follow him. But he himself is uniquely positioned to be wonderful counselor. We know that from the whole of Scripture. Just consider a few other words recorded by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 46. It says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. (laughs) Oh man, he is wonderful counselor. There's none like him. He is revealer. He lives outside of time. He holds power and authority in his hands. And that ought to evoke a sense of wonder in us. He is wonderful counselor. He makes things known. He influences generations. Consider Psalm 33. 
It says, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. He is observer, so he's aware. He is guide and mentor, so he is influencer. He is not aloof. He is not distant. He is watchful. He is an overseer. He sees all, over all. And when we look at all of Scripture, we see very clearly that God is three things. He is omnipresent, he is omniscient, and omnipotent. Omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. Let's just talk about what those mean for a moment. Omnipresent, that means he is everywhere all the time. He is not bound by space or time. He is everywhere. Omnipresent. He is also omniscient which means he is all-knowing. There is nothing he does not know. He knows everything, all-knowing, omniscient. But then he is also omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He lacks nothing. There's nothing he cannot do. He is omnipotent. Omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Nothing is impossible with him. Now, you may be someone or you may know someone who has struggled with this concept based on questions you've heard. Questions like, can God create a rock so big that he can't pick it up? You ever heard that question or question like it? Raise your hand. Yeah, a few of you I see out there. Look, that question's out there. But that question in and of itself really points out the fact that we're nothing more than blind men trying to figure out what an elephant looks like. And it, it kind of tries to box him in. Almost like if I were to ask you the question, have you quit stealing yet? Right, a little tricky, isn't that question? Like, how would I answer that? Okay, this question is a little bit tricky, but in the interest of helping us move forward to truly beholding, I want to give an answer to this question. One that you may find helpful for your own walk with him as you behold him, or for others who are trying to figure out who he is. So can God create a rock so big that he can't pick up? The answer is no. Because God doesn't do anything that is inconsistent with his character. And that would be inconsistent with his character. It would violate his character. Can God pick up, make a rock so big he can't pick up? The answer is no. Not because of ability, but because of character. Put that in your back pocket and use it at work this week. Listen, our God is omnipresent. He is omniscient and omnipotent. He is everywhere, all-knowing, all-powerful. Behold. Behold, three reasons why he is the God we should behold. Omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Now listen, the Bible says that that his ways are higher than our ways. So that means that we'll never fully understand him in this life, but we should still try. We should still strive to behold him fully. The problem comes when we believe we have beheld all that there is, and then we stop chasing him. But as Dietrich Bonhoeffer very aptly stated, he said that while it is good that we seek to know the Holy One, it is probably not so good to presume that we ever complete the task. There is always more to behold in God. We will never fully understand him in this life, but we should still strive to behold him fully. Because Jesus is wonderful counselor. But he is also mighty God. Mighty God. He is strong. He is brave. He is mighty. He is God of all creation. 
We were made by him and for him. We saw last week in John chapter 1 that he existed at creation and he was part of creation and nothing exists without him. He reigns in heaven. He is worthy of worship and praise. He is mighty God. He wasn't given life in the manger. He was given mortality in the manger. He was given humanity in the manger. You want to understand more about that? Check out last week's message. But he is mighty God. Now, I have a number of scriptures in my life that I revisit regularly. Some of them monthly, some of them weekly, and some daily. I call them recalibrating scriptures. Because they are scriptures that recalibrate my heart and mind. Back to who I am, whose I am, and who he is. And one of my favorite recalibrating scriptures is one that both humbles me and encourages me at the same time. And it's from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, verse 27, which says, Behold, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? I never get tired of reading that scripture. I never get discouraged as I read that scripture. He is saying that he is almighty God. And since Jesus was fully God and fully man, Jesus is mighty God. Which is how he could overcome death. Which is how he could rise from the dead. He existed before the first Christmas. Not as a human, nor with the name Jesus. Both of those came that first Christmas. But he was, and he is, and he is to come. In fact, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus himself declares this. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He says that the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, he was and is and is to come. He is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. Behold, behold. Now, it's really important to understand that in that power, God desires to show himself mighty on our behalf. God desires to show himself mighty on our behalf. His power is not just for power's sake. He doesn't boast about it. He doesn't showboat in it. The reason he doesn't do that is the same reason he doesn't create a rock so big that he couldn't pick it up. He is holy and perfect and loving, and and he uses his power righteously, and he desires to show himself mighty on our behalf, and that's clearly revealed in Christmas. It points to why Jesus came. So I want to jump to a scripture that is more familiar for many of us. It's one that captures the why behind the what of how God wants to show himself mighty on our behalf, and it's from John chapter 3, starting with verse 16 and into 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. God wants to show himself mighty on our behalf, on your behalf. You know, in some ways, we can think about Christmas this way. That God who is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created us. Scripture says he created us in his image. It it was for relationship, for fellowship. It was out of love that God created us. He created us for that relationship. The challenge is that in the dynamic of living life here, sin entered the equation, and that sin distanced us from God. In that reality, God continued to be holy. 
He continued in his deity in, in all that he is. God the Father remained holy. Jesus the Son continued to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. However, out of love for us, God the Father sent Jesus the Son. That first Christmas is the expression of God's love sending the Son to be given the name Jesus and to ultimately bear our shame, to be well, who was described, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So by Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he positions us to be restored back into relationship with God, both now and for eternity. This is the wonderful beauty and reality of what the big picture is of Christmas, that God created us, he came for us, and ultimately calls us to himself. Christmas was the point that Jesus came. Easter is the point that positions him to go back to heaven in all of his deity with all his humanity as well. And he will one day come again. But here's where the beholding piece of this gets exciting for me. It's where the bigger picture starts to show up and we can behold him. The reality is it centers around, for me, this word, the word with. That God created us to be with him. He sent Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us to restore relationships so that we can be with him for all eternity. That's something to behold. But I think often in our Christmas journey, we'll take just little parts and pieces of this and we'll be so close in, we'll miss the whole. We'll look at it as parts of an elephant and miss the whole perspective of what the elephant is. This is the reality of a God who loves, a God who saves, and a God who redeems. And this is something to behold. This is what we behold at Christmas. So, so what? Well, I literally want to challenge all of us to do one thing this Christmas season. Let love cost you something. Let love cost you something. Jesus had trouble like us. He had even worse trouble than we did. But, but he came he emptied himself. He, he took the form of a servant. He appeared in human likeness, fully God but fully man. And he did that out of love for you and I, he, a love that cost him. He endured great hardship so that you and I could in turn sacrifice in our love for him and gain everything. Let love cost you something. Maybe it's your comfort or your control or your preferences Maybe he is asking you to let love cost you in the area of pain or loss, to endure a difficulty. Maybe he's asking you to let love cost you the belief that you shouldn't have to endure any pain or hardship. We have to remember that he is not just a baby in a manger or a good teacher. He is mighty God. And he exists outside the box we often put him in. And he calls us to yield everything to him. Not for safety and not for comfort and not for easy things, but rather eternal things. Let love cost you something. You know, candidly, when I have wrestled with the trouble I experience in life, when I've wrestled with God in that trouble, and, and we all have trouble. Jesus said we would have trouble. But when I wrestle with God with the things that he has allowed in my life, pain, Loss, betrayal, deceptions, false accusations, that trouble upon trouble, the stuff that we just like, what in the world? Why did that happen? Every time that I have wrestled with God and I have asked him why, every time I've thrown that back to him, either crying out in pain or, or complaining or, or, or just looking for some kind of explanation, every time I have asked him why, 
He has responded in a manner where I understand head and heart. He has responded this way. Sean, I allowed my son to experience that. Why would I not allow you? And in that moment, I quit. I quit complaining. And I quit crying out. And I humbly behold a God who loves and who sees and who is more than able to overcome the complexities of life. Jesus had trouble like ours. He, he had worse trouble than us. We know that because none of us here have ever been crucified, right? He experienced hardship. He knows what it is to endure pain and hardship in this life. He understands what we're going through, which positions him to be wonderful counselor and advisor as he journeys with us in the troubles and hardships by his Holy Spirit. Check out what Paul wrote. And, and Paul was a guy who experienced a lot of hardship in life. Paul said, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus had trouble like ours, even worse. And his love should lead us to surrender. His sacrifice should lead us to sacrifice in return. But I think we often want love to never cost us anything. We just want to receive it. But his love for us and, and our love for him resides in the spaces of sacrifice and suffering. In the spaces of beauty from ashes. As we forgive those who have wronged us. As we extend grace to them unmerited favor when it's not deserved as we wait upon him to work and redeem that difficulty and complexity as we trust him and depend on him and honor him letting him redeem the thing in our life that we wish wasn't there let love cost you something Jesus said in this world you will have trouble but take heart I've overcome the world in some ways I want to insert bold there in this world you will have trouble, trouble, but behold, behold, I have overcome the world. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. What do you need to let love cost you? How, do you? how do you personally need to participate in his love? Behold his love. Demonstrate it. Experience it. Lead others to experience it. Sometimes we, we fail to behold because we only see in part. We're up close and, and we lose sight of the big picture in the thick and thin of life. And as wonderful as Christmas is, we can make Jesus small. We make him small in his characteristics and, and attributes. We focus on what feels right and what connects with us. We limit our view and understanding of him to being a baby who came with a good purpose rather than that mighty God who came to bear our shame, to carry our sin to be a substitutionary sacrifice. He is not a baby with a good purpose. He is a God who became man as part of a divine rescue. Behold that. Let your response to that be to behold. Him who is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. He is those things. We are not, we're not those things. But we can still have him and have a relationship with him and know him 
We, we can love. We can encounter the divine. We'll never have it all figured out in this life. We'll never get there in this part of our journey. There will always be more and more and more to behold. But that alone makes him worthy of that beholding. To behold him is all of this. To behold him is not just to focus here, but to understand the whole. To behold him as the creator, the one who created, the one who came, the one who calls. In one of the most significant moments of my spiritual journey, one of the shifting moments for me, was when I no longer saw God just as the God of my parents or the figurehead of the church, but as my God, personal God, a God who created, who came, and who calls. That began to change everything for me. And I began to behold him like never before. And for some of you, your focus on him has only been the baby in the manger. You've not moved past the fact that he came, that he is wonderful counselor and mighty God. And, and the opportunity for you today is to receive him, not just as that baby, not to behold him as a baby alone, but to behold him as a king and to receive him as savior and Lord. If you've never had the conversation with God, to ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior, then you still reside here spiritually and you're not reconciled to God in relationship with him. Salvation matters now and for eternity. And it starts with receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. On the back of your note guide are three simple steps and a prayer that allows you to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and have relationship restored to God. That's the place to start. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. Or if you made that decision, but somewhere along the way you quit beholding, you just started to look. You started to focus myopically and you've missed the big picture. Then today is an opportunity to behold him in his fullness. And to let the intimacy and, and the close-in look that Christmas gives us lead you to an appreciation of the details and not to lose the big picture as a whole. To understand his greatness what do you need to do to let love cost you? What do you need to do to, next to behold his wonder and his might? Jesus is the one who was and is and is to come. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Today we can behold him, but we each get to choose. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you that because of Jesus, because he came and he lived and he died and he rose again, that we can have confidence to approach your throne. We can have this conversation right now because of what Jesus did. And I love the fact that he is not a high priest who can't empathize, but that he understands what it is to struggle. He understands the hardships of life and he can therefore then be a substitutionary sacrifice for us. He can stand in the gap between us and you. And he can, because of his sacrifice, position us to be restored as we receive him. So Lord, I pray for anyone here who has not made that decision that you would speak your love to them today and they would understand the need to, to surrender to that love. They would let the love that you demonstrated cost them in a way that brings them back to who they were created to be in the first place. But Lord, may all of us let love cost us in sacrifice, in submission, in surrender, so that you can work through us, so that, so that the story of Jesus coming isn't just about Christmas, it's about a lifestyle, it's about, it's about a commitment that, leads, that lasts for a lifetime, it's about eternity. 
And I pray, Father, that in the, in the midst of all of those things that you would keep us from not looking myopically. We wouldn't just stay close in and lose sight of the whole. But we will be a people who understand all that you are, all that you call us to, and we will live fully into that. So may we behold you this Christmas, Lord. May we behold the one who is wonderful counselor and mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And may you rule and reign in our hearts and lives. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.